Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Thursday, Cinco de Mayo, the 5th of May. We are here live. Phones are already lighting up, so if you want to jump in, you should do it right now. 855-950-3835. It is a free-for-all for this first hour. Uh, later on this afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern time, there will be an episode of Rolling Toe. That will be Mike and Kevin Beckett doing their show today. Uh, we are working on rolling out new shows and getting the hosts all set up to be able to do their own shows, which allows them to do more time, allows me to go on and do other shows. So we're rolling those things out. Every week, we will continue with that. The app is in beta, and it gets better and better every day. We're excited about that as well. Calls are coming in. Uh, I had a whole bunch of things I was going to talk about today because, for some reason, I thought it might be a quiet day, but we've got all kinds of calls already. <clears throat> I do want to address one thing, and then I'll get to the calls. I've seen this a lot over the last several years that we've been talking about electric vehicles. Uh, I forget which year it was. We talked a lot about them. It was the year um, Tesla announced their truck. Nikola announced their truck. We talked about it a lot. There are a lot of misconceptions around electricity and producing it and converting it and storing it. And I don't completely understand it all, but I have a pretty good understanding of what works and what doesn't and why and but this is, for some reason, this seems to be one of those topics that once somebody gets something in their mind, it's really difficult to change their mind. It, the, the other, you know, uh, fuel tax, I've always had that problem trying to explain it to somebody, and I struggle with trying to explain that. Factoring, when we talk about factoring, you know, I've seen rates as high or higher than 60% interest if you know how to calculate interest correctly. And that's a topic that, boy, people will just give you that deer in the headlights look and swear you're an idiot. And it, this, I, I'm, I'm seeing that in this topic. And I, I get it. We don't understand some of these things. So I thought I would just talk a little bit about this. I mean, I've heard things like, well, why don't we just have a, uh, an inverter charging the batteries the whole time. Well, you can do that, but you have to have the original source of power. There has to be some original source of energy. Energy doesn't just appear out of thin air. It requires something. Motion can create energy, wind, water, uh, we can create energy from solar, we can create energy from fossil fuels, we can create energy from friction. There, there's lots of ways to create energy, but it requires something. And we can't just create these infinite loops. And that sometimes people get this in their mind that you could just create this infinite loop and it can't work that way. If it did, we would be creating what's referred to as a perpetual motion machine and it would change the entire world if you could do the things that people seem to think we could do with electricity. 
one of the conversations I saw in Trucking Tribe in one of the chats had kind of a new take on this. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, well, with these electric trucks, why don't we just put a, a, a gasoline or a diesel generator on there to charge the batteries while you're going down the road? Well, in essence, what you're talking about is all of today's hybrid vehicles. I mean, we have hybrids. There, there's all kinds of them in the auto world. We don't even hardly pay attention to them anymore. But that's basically what that is. You've got a, a an engine, an internal combustion engine that runs on gasoline or diesel or some fuel. We need some energy there. Then that engine creates motion in the vehicle. And then we can use the motion of the vehicle to generate electricity and charge batteries. And then at times the vehicle can run off its electric motors instead of the internal combustion engine. That's a hybrid. That's a good intermediate step to move to full electric vehicles, but they're overly complicated. And for a lot of years, they weren't even all that efficient. I remember when the hybrids first came out, I remember studying the Honda Accord hybrid. It got one more mile per gallon than the standard Accord did. That was it, one more mile per gallon for all of that complexity and expense. The car was like $10,000 more to get the hybrid, and you got one more mile per gallon. Now, hybrids have become much more efficient than that, but in my opinion, hybrids are not the future. And really, trying to put a diesel or gasoline generator on a, an electric truck that's going to have a huge battery is like pissing into the wind. It's just, it's not going to work. You'd have to have such a big engine and such a big generator, and it'd be so complex. The other thing that a lot of people miss, and I don't, I can't completely explain this, but in all these methods of creating and using energy, we have to convert energy. We have to convert motion into energy. That's one of the ways we can do it. Sometimes we have to convert AC to DC, DC to AC. Every time we make a conversion, we lose energy. That's a, that's a big key. Every time you convert, you lose. And depending on how and, and how efficient the methods you are using to convert depends on how much you lose. You can lose an awful lot. That's the early hybrids were not very efficient. So the conversation that I saw this time had a slightly different take on this. Their initial question was, why can the electric motors only generate power during braking? Well, the answer to that is the motor is either producing power or using power to produce motion as a motor, or when it's not driving the, the vehicle forward, and now we have forward motion we can then turn that motor into a generator and collect the energy of that motion. There's actually a secondary advantage at this point because 
converting that motion to energy requires a tremendous or creates a tremendous amount of drag. It, it, it takes energy to turn that generator. We're using the energy of the motion, but it, and then it slows the vehicle down. So it acts as a brake. So when you use it this way, it's really efficient. You're, you're using the generator now, the motor we just turned into a generator, as a brake. And that means you don't require as much physical brake. So that's a good thing. But their question was, well, why can't that just produce energy while it's going down the road the whole time? Well, the answer was that motor can either be a motor or a generator, but not both at the same time. And then the response was, well, okay, why not have two motors on, say, two wheels and two generators on the other two wheels to produce electricity the whole time you're going down the road? And it's a logical question. And they even use the example. I got a kick out of this because I had one. Um, when I was a kid, I had, you could buy this little generator kit for your bike. And it had a little generator and you bolted it onto the frame near your wheel. And then you could flip the generator over and it had a little wheel on it that would rub against your tire. And it would spin the generator and you could then put lights on your bike and the generator would light them up. Now, there was no battery involved at all. There was no storage system. So when you stopped moving, your lights went out completely. If you moved really slow, you had dim lights. The faster you went, the brighter your lights got. But I can tell you this. When that generator was against that wheel, you would wear your ass out pedaling. There was a lot of friction there, a lot of resistance. So yes, you could do something like this, but just because you can do it doesn't mean we should. It is horribly inefficient. You're creating more drag that the electric motors now have to overcome all of that drag. That requires more energy. So, yes, these two generators could be producing electricity and charging the battery, but you would deplete your batteries faster than the generator could recharge them because of all of the inefficiencies of conversion. Converting that motion of the wheel or the vehicle into energy by putting some sort of generator on the wheel creates a tremendous amount of drag, more drag than we're getting in charging. That's the answer. And really, at one point, at one point in the conversation, somebody thought it was some sort of government conspiracy that electric vehicles are not allowed to be built that way. Well, well, no, there are no regulations. If somebody wanted to build a vehicle that had a couple motors and then a trying to gather power from that motion. There's nothing illegal about it. We're already doing it in trucking. And I, like I said, hybrids already do this, but it's not the most efficient way of doing it. Now, it's always efficient to use the motors as generators and brakes. That's kind of free energy, but it's tiny, tiny amounts 
compared to how much energy we need to charge these batteries. I think one of the reasons people get confused about this is they don't, it's hard to fathom how much energy we have to put into a battery to move vehicles down the road. It's a lot. Much more than all these other devices we're using and this is why we can do it now. We couldn't do it 20 years ago or 50 years ago. We didn't, we just didn't know how to build batteries and other things to produce enough power and store enough power to do this, to, to move a vehicle down the road. Now we start talking about, you know, 80,000 pound trucks. We're talking about really big batteries and incredible amounts of electricity. And that's why there is a concern that could our grid handle it today? Oh, hell no. Not even close. I won't argue that. People say, oh, well, the grid can't handle it. That's correct. It can't. We have to fix that. Just like when they started building the first horseless carriages, there weren't gas stations everywhere around the country. Why would there be? Why would we have a grid that produces three or four t- more times electricity today than it needs to. There was no reason to build a grid like that. There is now, going forward, we can now see that. And as we need more electricity in the grid to run all of this electric revolution we have going on with tools and equipment and vehicles, and yeah, we're, we need a bigger grid. We need more ways of producing electricity, and and we'll get there. But this idea of trying to produce electricity on the vehicle itself while it's going down the road, yeah, that's that, that we may, like I said, hybrids are kind of a transition, but they're just not very efficient. Now, I, there may have been a dozen things in there I said that aren't completely technical technically correct. I don't know. If you want to correct me on any of those things, you can. I think I've kind of got... The, the right idea in the big picture. Let's, um, let's get to some phone calls because they are getting busy. If you want to jump in, I would do it right now. 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Tennessee today. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Oh, you just went into the future a little bit, Kevin. I'd like to go I guess, way back into the past and, okay. uh, and talk about um, roll starting a truck and uh, a situation that happened to me. And I had a question for you. Something has bugged me since ever since I did this. Now, um, you know, going back in time, my first truck was a 1973 white freight liner. Now, you know, when I say that, I'm not talking about the color of the freight liner. Hey, you know, I, right? <laughs> I, well, let me tell you, the first truck, I didn't own this truck. I actually rented it. So when I got my first contract, very first, right out of truck driving school, I wasn't a company driver. I went to work for Spartan Express Local, and they only used owner-operators. Well, I didn't have a truck. They had this yard truck that they said, well, you know, we need somebody to cover all this extra work. We'll rent you this truck until you can find one yourself to buy. And it was a 1973 white, I think it was a road boss, though. Uh, white Freightliner Road Boss, yeah. So, White Motor Company, Freightliner, Volvo. At one point, it was, I even forget how you said the name, but it was like Volvo White Freightliner for a while because Volvo yeah. bought the whole, right. whole yeah. yeah. So, right. now, very familiar with the right. truck. Um, no air ride seat. Right. 
so, no power steering, right. no air conditioning, no, no power nothing. steering, right? Right, yeah. The whole thing. Now, it, my, my question, and that's how far back I go. Now, my, my question doesn't involve that particular truck. Here's my, here's a situation that happened to me. This would have been in twenty, maybe twenty sixteen. Uh, I'm driving for a, a company truck, and it's, which would mean it was probably a twenty thirteen. It would have been a Freightliner um, DD thirteen with a ten speed manual transmission. Now. Okay. You know, in the old days, you could roll start a truck, obviously, right? You, yeah. you, you manual transmission, you get it moving somehow down a hill, get pop pulled, the clutch. Uh, pop the clutch. Yep. Yeah, the whole thing. So, you know, just t- trying to explain that to some guys who maybe don't know what roll starting means, you know, going back a couple of days ago when we were talking, you know, you talked about running a rack or yeah. doing the overhead and what that actually means. So anyway, that's what roll starting is. On a manual transmission truck, you can get, if you have some momentum well, somehow, you know, you Put your key on, roll, pop the clutch. The basically yeah. the transmission when it engages will turn your truck over and you get started. It starts. Yeah, right? and just just for everybody's benefit, it doesn't just work in trucks. It works in any vehicle basically with an internal combustion engine and a manual transmission, a motorcycle, a car, right. whatever. Yeah. you can start right. them through right. this you, process, right? Right. So that's, that's the situation. Now I'm, I'm driving a company truck. I'm doing my food service delivery at three o'clock in the morning. I'm in rural North Carolina and I get out to the truck after my delivery, turn the key, the starter starts smoking, won't turn the truck over and the starter smoking. So I say, well, (laughs) I guess my starter is shot. Right. Well, I, I can roll start this. Now here's, here's the thing because I'm parked on a hill. I still have air pressure, obviously with, with, with trucks, you'd have to release the brakes. So you need air pressure to do that. Right. Um, so I released the brakes. Now here's, here's the situation though. I can roll start it. I'm on a hill, but I'm facing uphill. So now I'm going to roll backwards. Okay. Correct. So what, what I, I'll tell you what I did. I roll started it, but I roll started in reverse because I'm figuring I'm going backwards. I'm going to roll start it and I'll pop the clutch in reverse. (laughs) The truck started. Does that mean the engine's going backwards? No, because I made it about a hundred feet because I see I made, I made it about a hundred feet and the power steering pump will do. (laughs) Are those two related? Okay. I I start the truck by rolling it backwards and, and popping the clutch in reverse. Does the engine go backwards or So let me give you the opposite example, and I think it should explain how this works, because I was confused when this happened to me. And if I'm missing something here, somebody jump in, post it on Trucking Tribe or wherever, correct me if I'm wrong on this. The way you did it is the way I would have done it as well. The opposite, if you would have tried to roll backwards but pop the clutch in a forward gear, that would turn the engine backwards. Now, most modern engines, I I don't believe, this is what I don't know for sure, I don't believe that most modern engines would start. There are engines that absolutely will run backwards, one of them that's famous for it, and I had it happen to me. That's why I know how confusing this can be. Uh, uh, The early Detroits, the two-cycle Detroits at a 6V92. So I'm in a, a deep dock hard pull out of there. I just loaded probably 90 some thousand pounds worth of barrels. I was running local. So I'm sure I was overweight. All I was doing was running them back to the terminal. It was about a half hour away. 
Um, but I go to climb out of this deep dock. And as I started to let the clutch out, I felt it, uh, it was about ready to stall. And so I pushed the clutch back in real quick to catch it. And I did, but as it almost stalled and then I pushed in the clutch, the engine started running backwards and it will run. But you, you got to think about this now. You are now sucking air in through the exhaust and blowing it out through the air cleaner. That's what's happening. Yep. So exhaust is rolling out from under my hood and I'm totally confused because when you do this, you know, I hit the clutch, it, everything jerks, that, but all of a sudden my engine's still running and smoke's rolling out from under the hood and I'm inside of a building. This dock is inside of a building. So my first thought is, holy shit, I'm going to smoke everybody out. I got to get out of here. So I throw it into low again, start to let out the clutch and I'm not going anywhere, but I can feel all the tension in the driveline because I'm trying to back up against the dock now. Low now becomes reverse because the engine's running the opposite way. I could have put it into reverse and driven out of the dock probably, although they don't run very good when they're running backwards. Yeah. They run, but right. I doubt that I would have had enough power. So I just turned it off. I had no idea what was going on. Uh, my father was still alive right. at the time and I was young. I called up my dad and I'm like, dad, what the hell did I do? Cause this is now my truck. I've only had it a couple months and I'm like, what the hell did I do? And he started laughing and he said, oh, it's running backwards. It's no big deal. He said, just start it up right now and tell me what happens. So I started it up and I said, oh, it's running great. He said, put it in low. I did. And I pulled out of the dock. He said, no big deal. So when the engine runs backwards, your gears now become the opposite. So if you, I right. believe I would have done the same thing you did. If I'm moving backwards right. and I'm trying to jumpstart this, yeah, it's got to be in reverse the way I see it. That's, right. That's what I thought. But what really messed me up was that, I, I again, I drove about 100 feet. I put it in, in, in forward. I drove 100 feet and the power steering pump that's, totally blew up. That's weird. And, yeah. And like I, I, I said, know. I, I know, I know. I don't believe that today's modern engines would be able to run backwards. I think they're way too complicated. The, the two-cycle Detroit was such a simple engine. Um, I'm not, I don't even know if a four-cycle mechanical diesel would run backwards. I, I don't know. Um, I do know the two-cycles were kind of known for it. Um, I doubt right. that today's engines would. So when you got it started, and let me ask you this, for that 100 feet, did it feel like it was running pretty normal? It felt pretty normal. Yeah, yeah, see, it, what, felt, it felt it, fine. Even it, a simple it, engine, it, when it runs backwards, it, everything's way out of sync. It's all out of phase. You're not getting right. combustion when you should. You're, it, 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 it's a mess, even though, you know, the engine continues to turn over and, and kind of run. They're not running right. So I think right. unless there's some other explanation for what you might have done, I don't believe the explanation is the engine was running backwards. I, I don't think that at all. Right. But I don't know right. if this I is just pure coincidence or something about what you did that I can't fathom what it could be um, because you, you didn't do anything yeah, unusual. Like, it, you know, it, there's right. another way of looking at this. If you have another vehicle that can pull you, technically you don't even need to push in and pop the clutch. 
just put it in gear and let the other vehicle start pulling you and you'll feel the wheels start turning the engine. And when you get enough speed, the engine will turn over and and go. So I I don't see how you did anything that could have damaged anything. But here's another factor. Today's, Today's trucks are so damn complicated and proprietary and Maybe there is some reason you shouldn't do this. I, I don't know. Well, well heck yeah. Well, that, that, that would be the other thing is that if you're talking about today's modern engines, well, today's modern engines most likely will be hooked up to a automatic, automated manual transmission somehow. So you wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Right. That's that. I was just well, going to say that we should also let people know that if you have an automated manual transmission, you're out of luck. You can't pop start right. or pull start or roll start those vehicles because there's no way to disengage or engage the clutch because that requires motion. Right. It's a centrifugal clutch, and you've got to get it spinning so fast before um, that would work. So, on, on uh, right, and and they're, well, they're so electronic as well. So you you, I guess a lot of them have. What will be, I guess you'd call them interlocks. You have to have it in neutral to start there, the truck. There's a lot of other right. safety features, right? Well, so with yeah. all the weird safety right. so features he, he, on vehicles, like yeah. your foot has to be on the brake or this has to happen. Right. Or, yeah, that, that right. could also stop yeah. vehicles from starting this way. Right, right. So, okay, that was my question for you today, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks you know, for answering it. Hopefully it'll... it'll <laughs> Matt had another thought, and I... I um, he said it, it sounds like it doesn't have anything to do with the, the pop start or the jump start. I agree. Um, right. he, but he I did agree. have yeah. an idea. Maybe frying of the starter. Maybe there was some, you know, something going on there that I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to think through what connection there might be there, but that seems more likely than, you know, just jump starting it. Right. And then there's that other weird possibility that it's just a strange coincidence. It, it could be. And I, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's the way to answer the question is if let's say the engine is running backwards, that would mean your alternator is running backwards, right? All the belts are running backwards. The power pump, steering pump is running backwards, but does that really matter to a pump? Isn't it just, you know, up and down it, it, its cylinder. It just goes up. It doesn't matter which way that, Probably is turning. It shouldn't matter. I wouldn't think. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Now we're getting deeper into this. But my, I go back right. to the original. Yeah. I highly doubt that I, one of these engines could run backwards. Right. I well, I agree, and it's just something that's bugged me um, since I retired. You know, I'm retired yeah. now, yeah. so I can, can think about a lot of different things. You know, <laughs> now that that where, where I used to think. <laughs> It'd be interesting to know well, if if, yeah, if it there was some connection to something that happened right then, or if it was just completely random. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. So that would be something you know. The tribe can weigh in on this. Maybe it'll make for some uh, debates over the next few days. So yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> it should be interesting. I I think so. I'll look forward to hearing everybody's opinion on that because I I'm not confident at all that everything I just said is correct. I know a lot of it is, but not all of it. Let's uh, let's go to New York. Jimmy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for taking my call. What's on your mind I, today? Uh, well, it's a health 
uh, situation. I, I've been listening to you for years, and I want to tell you that you completely changed my life um, over the years I've been listening and applying some of the things that you talk about. I had suffered with uh, high blood pressure really bad, and um, uh, I was put on medication, but it, it it lowered my blood pressure to the point where I was like, you know, getting dizzy and oh yeah, <clears throat> having other problems. So my 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 I uh, I I changed my life. I went to keto, and I've been on that for six months. I lost eighty pounds. Wow! Congratulations. Yeah. So, um, just over the years listening and um, uh, taking your advice and doing some things that, that completely changed my life. I, uh, I, 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 uh, I got, uh, that, uh, Dr. McCola with the, uh, organic beets and stuff. Good. Um, um, and the, uh, the other things that you, uh, that I've bought from your store, it, uh, it regulated me, uh, to the point where now I'm in, you know, I used to get like, uh, one year at a time, um, DOT card, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know how to say. It. Yeah, so, so I I started taking the uh, I I got that organic beet powder and I I went on keto and it completely changed my life. Good. And um, I'm, you know, for the other road dogs out there that uh, listen to you, and I've been listening to you for years, um, taking your advice and. I'll tell you, it, it, it's completely changed my life. I, I you know, I, I just this past year I got my two year DOT card and excellent. I was like, wow, what a change! Yeah, and, that's um, awesome. Just, um, it, it, it completely changed my life. You know? Well, good. Uh, I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm glad to hear it, and that is life changing. Losing 80 pounds, that, that's incredible. I mean, you think yeah. about all the benefits, yeah. you know, the energy levels, the, the, you know, not all the aches and pains, not all the struggle, the, you know, hard breathing every time you get in and out of the truck or going up and down stairs. A lot of that just goes away, right? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because I was suffering with that for so many years. Um, I'd get out of my truck and just walk around and do a a check once or twice a day and I would be breathing heavy. I'm like, geez, there's something ain't quite right. And, um, you know, when I started listening to your show years ago, I, I, I applied everything that you talked about and I, I made it my lifestyle and boy, did it, it made a lot of difference, a lot of changes. And I feel better. I breathe better. You know, I can yeah. walk well, around the block or around my truck. Or well, <laughs> here's a good example. I mean, you were kind of wondering, why am I breathing so hard? Why am I tired? I can promise you this. I, I'm fairly physically fit right now for my age. I'm in as good a condition as I've been in any other time of my life. Probably stronger in many ways. Yeah. But I can promise you, if you strapped 80 pounds to my back, and I had to get in and out of a truck and walk around and do a pre-trip, I'd be breathing hard. Well, you know, it got me really nervous because I'm like, what's wrong with me? But I started applying the things that you've talked about, and, you know, it, it really made a big change in my life. 
Good. Good. That that's that's awesome. And, and I, 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 uh, I, go ahead. I just wanted to call and thank you for that and for all, all the other dogs out there that may be feeling the same symptoms. Um they'll go right away, man. It, I, it works. It, everything yeah. that I complained about <laughs> yeah. it just it just went away, just like you talked about. When, but when I applied everything that you talked about and uh, some of the love changes, uh, I'll tell you, it's right there, man. Yep. Yeah, I agree. Hey, thanks for the call and the feedback. I appreciate it. Uh, you know, when Lauren and I were going through some of the cases, um, I was looking at the notes out of one of them, and this person went through all these different attempts at weight loss. The interesting thing was everything they tried worked. They must have been pretty disciplined when they did this stuff because they worked. They kept losing 50 pounds. That's a lot of weight to lose. Now, they had more to lose, but it seems like everything else they tried, they would lose 50 pounds, kind of stall out there, and then eventually gave up and gained it all back. And he went through low-calorie, low-fat, Nutrisystem, Weight Watchers. I mean, there were several uh attempts and it was always the same lose 50 pounds stall out gain it all back try again until he tried keto paleo carnivore um, any one of those is capable of, capable of producing good weight loss the difference is the difference is he got to the 50 pounds lost and just kept going ended up losing closer to 100 and has maintained that weight loss for years now because I don't know many people that want to eat Nutrisystem for the rest of their life or want to deal with Weight Watchers and all the points and the calculations and the tracking and measuring and weighing. And I, I don't know people who want to do that for the rest of their life. And we have to understand, whatever method you use to lose the weight, you have to keep using. You may be able to modify it some like we talk about, you know, you could use keto to lose a lot of weight and then move to paleo and watch your weight. You, you might still have to make some adjustments. Same with carnivore. You could use carnivore to lose a lot of weight. Then you could modify it somewhat, higher carbs, more foods, but you can't go back to the standard American diet. You can't go back to grains. You can't go back to all that processed food. You'll just end up with the same results. The difference is, Keto, paleo, carnivore, all these real food diets are really, really easy to sustain. I laugh because that used to be what people argued. In the beginning, they argued it didn't even work. Oh, you can't lose weight on keto, eating all that fat. Oh, hell yes, you can. The more fat you eat, the more fat you lose. Then after you couldn't say it didn't work anymore because there was way too much evidence and proof that it absolutely works, then they tried saying, well, that's not sustainable. Well, why not? And nobody could ever answer that when I, when I asked them, why not? Nobody could answer, well, it's just not. Well, that's not an answer. And I know somebody who's been keto for now, I guess it would be 30 years, 30 plus uh, I've been doing it for eight, keto, paleo, carnivore, some version of it, and so have a lot of other people. It is very sustainable. Let's um, let's go to Chicago. Randy, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing today? Doing good. I guess we're looking at an oil sample. 
we are. And you're confused. Are you you concerned about the fuel dilution? Well, I am. And the reason being is if you notice on the oil sample, there is, there should be an oil sample missing between October of last year and April of this year. Okay. And what happened was when I took my truck in to get the filter changed, they didn't listen to me and they dumped the oil right away. Ah, so I okay. missed an oil sample. So Got it. The, the fuel dilution that's in the, the fuel dilution that's in the sample from April only has like 21,000 miles on the oil. That's okay. That, that's, and, a, that, that's okay. okay. So let, let's, let me just um, allay your fears here. Don't worry about it. 2.3 is almost zero when it comes to fuel dilution. We don't even attempt right. to address fuel. Di- now, I'm talking about an OPS sample um, through our lab. So we're talking about a very specific lab and sample. Their equipment is so sensitive when it comes to measuring fuel dilution that we don't even address it as a problem until you get to about four and you're at 2.3. So the other thing we could look at, fuel dilution reduces viscosity. If we have, if we thought that this 2.3% was significant fuel dilution, we could look at viscosity to verify that. You're actually, your viscosity is a little higher than I would expect it to be. Um, actually, it's quite a bit higher. Are you using uh, T6, full synthetic? I am. Yeah, yeah, see, I, yeah, I would expect your um, your viscosity to be in the high 13s, low 14s, and you're mostly in the 15s. Now, I also realize this right. engine, is this correct? It has uh, almost 1.9 million miles on it? I didn't know better. I have had an in- Okay, when, on the end frame. How, how much on the end frame you broke up? Uh, about 600,000 okay. on the end frame. Okay. I had it replaced. It. So, the total mileage is almost 1.9. I now, had the end frame done at 1.298. Okay. So I know they flagged your fuel dilution as, as a level one green, so that's probably why you're asking about it now. You could just ignore it. We're nowhere near any kind of fuel right. dilution problem. I will tell you what else jumps out at me, though I'm a little more concerned about. Um, your silicon's been running high, and now it's actually gone beyond the point we like to see it. So if I go back historically, um, we don't like to see silicon go over 10. Silicon is dirt. And dirt is very destructive to the inside of the engine. It'll polish um, the cylinders and, you know, eliminate the crosshatch. And then we start burning oil. Um, so your history, we don't want to be over 10. Yours is 9, 9, 10, 9. And then this last one was 12. You're getting dirt in the engine somewhere. And, and I would start looking for it. That couldn't mean just the fact that they put new oil in it? No, new oil does the opposite. New oil, that number should go way down. If we were to sample new oil, there should be zero dirt in it. So every time you put in new oil, you're diluting the oil that's in there, and our numbers should get better. 
So now that you you have a 12 on this, what it tells me is there's a, a breach or a leak somewhere in your intake system, and it's getting worse probably. All right. I'll pull my clean uh, air filters out, clean them, look them over. Make sure they're oiled. Yeah, sometimes we don't get a good enough film of oil on those, and they require that oil. That filter right. will not work without oil. You'll get a lot of dirt in there. It's the oil that actually attracts and holds the dirt. Is it still about a third of a can per filter? I, I thought I was told that at one time. Uh, it's, that's probably not a bad, you know, benchmark. I, I'd like to just visually, you know, know that when I'm doing it and I'm looking at it, I'm not, I didn't miss any spots. I've got a good, even coating over the whole surface. All right. Next time I'm home, I'll, it, it's been a while since I took them out and cleaned them anyway. So yeah, next time I get back to the check, house, I'll check all the check all the seals, seals where it goes in. Make sure there's no damage to any of the seals. Check all your wraps to make sure there isn't a tear somewhere when you put it back together. Make sure it's fitting right. You don't have any gaps and it's oiled well. And um, if if the next time you do an oil sample after doing all that, it's still high, then we need to start inspecting. And and honestly. The best way to do this is also the best way, I think, to test for boost leaks, and that's a smoke test. Unfortunately, there are very, very few diesel shops around the country that have smoke machines and know how to do a smoke test. And, and it's well, really simple. There. I'm, I'm in, yeah. I'm fortunate there. I live in Pittsburgh Power's backyard. Oh, over there perfect. Out, they they do like, it. They, yeah. they do it to almost every truck that comes in just as standard practice. Yeah. Hey, changing out the silicone hoses on the intake wouldn't affect anything like that. Or if I had deteriorating hoses it, on it the uh, charger for it shouldn't. No. Right. Now, now a All deteriorating right. hose, if it's allowing a, a leak, if it's allowing dirt in that could do it, but not, the hose deteriorating itself and causing that contamination. No. All right. Cause I just had a fan hub put in basically last month and that's what they, whenever they took it now off the, to lean the radiator and the, pool uh, you know, I, I, that may have kind of bumped us over 12. You might've gotten a little dirt in there while they were working on it, but you've historically run right there at that nine and 10 number, which we'd much rather see around four or five. So historically it's always been a little high on this truck and now it went over that usually to me in my mind, yeah, we've probably had a little bit of a leak somewhere and it got worse. The only time we, we kind of ignore this number is if the engine itself has been opened up at least the valve cover off at that point, that silicon number usually jumps way up and we have to wait for another sample or two for it to come back down. Yeah. I did have an overhead run, uh, overhead ran up at Pittsburgh power last year, uh, late summer, if I remember correctly. But yeah. Here's by that time that, that number should have come down. Well, here's an interesting thing. If I look at your sample, it was never elevated, even though they did get in there and do an overhead. What's that, what that tells me is they worked really, really clean when they were in there. Because it's, it's really difficult to take that valve cover off, do a valve adjustment, and not have the silicon spike when it 
when they can do it just means they worked super clean when they were doing it. Uh, I had Pittsburgh Power do it the last time, so that kind of answered that question there. Right. Yep. Yep. So I would just keep an eye on it. You're not at a number. We're not seeing really elevated wear metals yet, so it's not enough dirt that it's causing a problem. But that's what we like about sampling. We catch things like this before it causes a problem. Yeah. And I was more worried about the uh, about a trend number because it's like, okay, I replaced the oil, you know, I think it was like last October. I think I have it marked yes. And then they oops again there at Christmas. And I'm like 21,000 miles and then it's already shooting back up to 2.3. So it's Yeah. Like, now, it, it, that's it, such a low number. Don't even worry about it at all. When it crosses over three and you start seeing three and a half, then we start watching closer. But I don't recommend doing anything until we get over four. And here's one of the reasons. Even when we know there's fuel dilution in there and it could, the most likely cause of fuel dilution are injectors. There are a couple other things pump, but it's pretty rare. It's almost always an injector. Mm -hmm. One of the problems we've struggled with for years now is many times you'll be at 3.5 and somebody will go put new injectors in and the next oil sample, they're at 3.9 or 4.2. We've had bad injectors. We've had, you know, poor rebuilt injectors. We've had poor installs. So we see almost as many problems created sometimes by people putting in injectors. So we're a little hesitant to just run down and throw injectors in. They're expensive. They're getting harder to get. They don't always work the way they're supposed to. So we really kind of say, hold off till till we know there's an absolute injector problem, and then let's go deal with it. All right. Thanks for your help today. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Indiana this time. Johnny, welcome to the program. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate it. What's on your mind today? Hey, I got, well, okay. Um, I'm trying to eat carnivore, but when I do eat carnivore, like steak, shrimp, I get gout awfully bad. What's causing it? Do you, is it some, I don't know. Well, I'd have to know a lot more. There are foods that have what are called purines in them and purines will aggravate gout. So, Meat has it, seafood has it, some seafood is loaded with purines, organ meats tend to be high in purines, so a lot of the foods we want you to eat, because they're the most nutrient-dense foods, organ meats and seafood are the two best foods on the planet for nutrient density, they're both likely to trigger gout when you already have the problems that created gout. So... It's confusing because the purines don't cause the problem, but they aggravate the problem. What caused the original problem of gout and is still kind of holding on, and this is where I'd have to know more history. When did you change? How long have you changed? What else are you eating when you say you're eating carnivore? Is it pure carnivore or are there other foods still in Uh there? Well, I mean, like, I buy my food from Walmart, and I know that's bad. That is not very good steak and shrimp. I buy the frozen shrimp in the bags, you know, let them thaw, eat that snack on them. 
I have a George Foreman. I use my grill. You know, I'm trying to uh, to get away with it. And every time I get a guy to count, they go in and they, yeah, that's what it, the purine is like outrageous. And they put me on medicine and in about a few days I'm done, but I'm just, I don't know what else to do. Well, what you need to do is a discovery call. I mean, we need to dig deeper. What caused the condition of gout was the standard American diet and all the fructose. Fructose is the worst offender I'm, when it comes to creating gout. Okay, I'm pretty sure, yeah, because I'm, I, I was diabetic, and, and this year I took off six months because I had a heart murmur, and I, I, I came off the road, worked at home, and, and I lost 50 pounds, and, and now I'm, I'm trying to starve myself because I don't want to because I don't well, want to gain it well, all back, hold, but then hold, I get a headache, hold, stop, a major headache. Stop, so. stop, stop, stop. You can never starve yourself to a, to a weight because of what I said earlier. If you starve yourself to get to a certain weight, which first off is really difficult because your metabolism will keep adjusting and you'll just, you'll lose weight, but you'll also have a lot less energy. You will start to, when you starve yourself, it's almost like a bear trying to hibernate with no food. There's zero energy. That's why they sleep the whole winter, um, and they have to do it to survive. But you don't want your body to go into hibernation mode where it's not burning any calories because it sees there's not enough calories coming in. So this idea of starving ourselves to weight loss is stupid, and it doesn't work. Now, you, if you can white-knuckle your way through it long enough, of course you're going to lose weight if you're not eating enough but it's not good for your health. And are you willing to starve yourself the rest of your life? No. Then why would you starve yourself to get to a certain weight? Because the day you stop starving yourself, guess what's going to happen? You're going to get it all back. Exactly. So don't do that. If you listen to the show, you hear me tell people, if you are hungry, eat. If you eat and you're still hungry, eat more. Never do I tell people to go hungry to lose weight. You don't have to. It's the wrong way to do it. I know it's been beat into our head forever. It's the way you lose weight. No, it's not. It it really doesn't even make sense to try to do that. But we've just been brainwashed, so we still think... If I don't eat that one more piece of steak or if I don't eat one more rib, I'll lose more weight. No, don't do that. If you're hungry, eat. But you have to eat the right food. You've got a lot going on. You you really need a a one-on-one. I mean, we need to dig into a NutriQ. We need to design a 30-day eating plan to kind of jumpstart this. And we might have to detox at some point. I mean, there's, there's a lot going on. And when somebody tries to eat the, the correct foods, now I will say that shrimp from most places is absolute garbage now. It is nasty and polluted and toxic. And unless you absolutely know you're getting wild caught shrimp, if it says wild caught, you can verify that, then I, I would eat it. I'd love shrimp, but I will not eat farm-raised shrimp, just like I will not eat farm-raised salmon. I just, I won't touch it. I'll go hungry before I would eat that stuff. 
So I, it's, it's a shame that the food that should have been healthier, seafood, salmon, things like that, we have absolutely destroyed those foods by the way we raise them and farm them. And it's even worse than, the, than what we do to beef and pork and chicken. The conditions we raise farmed seafood in is just horrendous. So I, I would avoid those kind of th- I would much rather see somebody buy, you know, the best quality chicken they can get if that's what fits their budget rather than buying garbage shrimp. So you, you are going to have to make some sacrifices in your, your budget to get slightly better quality. But we also need to work on, uh, if you were listening yesterday um, when Lauren was on with me, Lauren really talks about the foundations. And I haven't talked about those as much as I used to. So it's great to have Lauren on and have her remind me. I, I, in my mind, I know we're going to go work on the foundations, but I don't always say it. We have to go back to square one with you and work on the foundations and get you healthy enough that you can handle a good carnivore diet. Oh, and I think I lost him. Let's, uh, let's move on to Iowa. John, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Good morning. What's on your mind today? Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to touch back on the pit from the other day. It was a great show. I lost you. And I might lose you here on this stretch of road also. Okay. Again today. Sorry, sorry about That's that. That's all right. Uh, my, my big ordeal was the student loan debt and how stupid it is to forgive them because, you know, they got the debt. Else gets forgiven if you don't pay it. Yeah, I... I, I Did I, I lose it? Oh, well, okay. you broke up a little bit there, so I didn't know if you're done. Um, I've got you back now. I, I said this the other day on the pit. I, I'm not sure why this one issue makes me so crazy. I mean, there's a lot about politics right now that's making me crazy. But this one is probably the number one for me. I, I, any, yeah, any yeah, politician. It, it is for me because... Any politician, I don't care what party they're in. I don't care if they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Independent. If you vote for any type of forgiveness of student loan debt, I will never vote for you again. I don't care what the rest of your voting record is. If you vote for something like this or support it, you are off my list forever. Right. And I'm so adamant about it right now is because my daughter's a senior. Uh, we're looking at going to college this fall, which will, if this conversation goes long enough, I'll, I'll explain that. But there was one thing that I didn't hear you or anybody else that I was going to talk about before I dropped my call was, what's the one thing that could eliminate probably 90% of future, not current, future student loans? Uh, well, I don't know. There are several things, I guess. I've, I've heard the government talk about making college free. Um, nope, nope, nope. Nothing government related. Okay. I don't know. Scholarships. Oh, okay. Scholarships. Well, and I say that because my daughter just had her school. We're in a very small rural area. There's between 40 and 45 students in her senior class. They had an awards banquet. Uh, two weeks ago to give out all, all the known 
scholarships and awards that these students have gotten this year. Um, out of that, for 40 to 5, I don't know exact numbers because there's been some kids come and go in the last year. And there was a roughly 22 to 24 at this awards. So basically half of her class. Would you, with, with the community of about 4,500 people, like I said, 40 to 45 students in her, in this senior class, would you like to guess how much they got in scholarships this year? No clue. Just, just guess. If you had, had an idea. 22 to 24 students. 200,000. Close, but not even close. between these students So for this small of a little itty-bitty community. Let me point out, because I I agree with what you're saying. There is a lot of scholarship money out there that goes unclaimed. I went through this when my son was going, um, and I agreed to pay some. He got some student loans to pay, and he had to pay them back. And I also said, look, you need to look really, really hard for scholarship money, too. There's all kinds of crazy programs out there. And he did. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's a lot of work, but it's it's worth it, and he found some. And, and I agree. There's there's lots of organizations out there that you know have all kinds of scholarship programs, but here's part of the problem. Even with all the scholarship money, we still have to pay a lot because, look, not everybody's going to get a scholarship. If, it, if they do, then obviously there's enough money around to make college free. That's not going to happen. But part of the, there, the problem you'd be surprised here, and how much there actually is available. No, there, but it's still not enough. And here's why. Here's why it's not enough. Because college is outrageously overpriced. And it's overpriced. And I'm not going to disagree with that. Because there's too much free money available. That's why it's overpriced. That's what we need to stop. Okay. We need to get the government to get I, the I, hell out of the student loan business. We should not be giving 18-year-olds oh yeah, $100,000 to go to school. Agree. These colleges now absolutely. have these billion-dollar endowment funds, multi-billion-dollar endowment funds, because they've overcharged for, con- for, for college for decades so the first thing we need right. to work on is getting the price of college back to where it should be. And one of the ways you do that is get rid of all the damn free money. But what if the free money is coming from the school itself? If it's actually coming from because the school, then great. Could, that They should use a bunch of, of their uh, endowment money to put people through school. But it, that's, that's we, uh, we're not the, seeing of enough that's, of that. Of that $644,000, my daughter, from an uneducated father, myself, and an educated mother, but her, her stepfather paid for all of her schooling, so she, she was able to graduate. My daughter was the highest out of that 644000 at $114,000. 111,000 of that came directly from the college she chose to go to. And it Excellent. was only because so, they gave her that much money. We, we, I told her, if you don't get scholarships to pay for your college, you're going to community college for two years. 
We'll figure out how to pay for it so you're debt-free when you when you graduate from there, and you will work your butt off for the for during that two years to pay for your four-year degree. And I agree with that. There and will I, I be think no that, that that's I get it. That and that's I totally agree with all that. Let me play devil's advocate for this issue for just a little bit. When we talk about okay. taking taxpayer money and giving it to other people. We, we've done this forever since we started all the social programs after the war. Prior yeah, to that, yeah, we almost never that. did And some this. of them are great. Yeah, right. But, some of them are great. My, our, daughter, our daughter was born on Title 19 because yeah, we didn't have a pot to piss in when she was born. Right. But we've we, worked we, ourselves up and paid off all our debt. Yeah, we could argue whether or not those are good programs or not. Let's just set that aside for a second. But let's look at how yeah. they all work. We took money from the people who had money, who were more successful, had higher incomes, didn't have a ton of debt, weren't struggling. We take money from them through their taxes, and we have traditionally given it to people who didn't have money, who didn't have resources, and we... The, the idea was, let's help them, let's help the people at the bottom, and then everybody benefits. And there's some logic behind that. If you don't help these people, they turn to crime, they turn to drugs. They So I get it. There is some, there's an argument to be made to helping the bottom end of society. It doesn't always work the way we want it to. We've, we've created decades of people dependent on the government, so we know that the programs aren't a complete success. They've failed in many ways. But let's look at this whole college thing. We do the opposite, whether it's with government loans or scholarships. We're taking money from the people who couldn't afford to go to college, who didn't have the resources to get to college. Maybe they don't even have the the intelligence to get through college. We take money from them and we give it to the people who are smart enough, who have the resources, who have the ability to go earn enough money to go to college themselves, even scholarships. We give it to the top achievers. We give it to the athletes who might end up going on to make money professionally as an athlete. That's pretty rare, but it there's, it happens. We give it yeah, to the smartest rare. of people. Wait a minute. Those people could figure out how to do this on their own. We're taking it from the poorest and giving it to the people with the most resources. What a stupid system. And now we're asking the, the poorest people who did not go to college, who sacrificed to start a business or get a job, they missed out on the college education, which means that will affect their earnings for the rest of their life. We're taking the money from those people and giving it to the people who already got the damn college education. So now they have one more advantage. And now we're going to take money from everybody else and give it to them? That's what makes me infuriated about this whole topic. But sometimes it's the parents don't know or the kids from school don't know about how to not get student loans. If they didn't have the student loan, they may even be more successful and be able to give back to their community. Correct. So I'm saying program like this, I'm saying turn the whole damn thing into a free market. It's not now it's the exact opposite. And we've set it up completely ass backwards. So 
because again, even the the scholarship programs are almost always given based on merit. You're really good at something. You're really smart. You well, well wait a minute. What about the people who aren't really good or really smart? Couldn't they use a college education too? But there's no programs for them. There are depending on, but it's a minor, uh, minor amount. Come on, come on. You and I both know it's a Uh, tiny amount of all of that scholarship money. That scholarship money goes to people who are really good at something. But the person that's really good at something, did they work harder through school to become better at school? Maybe they did. did So what? Slack off. Maybe they did. So what? I worked hard to get to where I am in business. I don't want some government reward for that. I don't need a government reward. The, The market rewards those people already. So if your daughter truly worked harder to get her good grades and to be more intelligent, learn more, good for her. The market is going to reward her. We don't need to reward her. The market will do that. If we really oh, no, want to yeah. help people, let's right. take the money she got and gave it to somebody, give it to somebody who didn't have some of those advantages. She'll figure it I out, agree. like you said. I, I, can't, she, I can't argue it. You and her would have decided, well, look, you're going to have to go to community college for two years. So what? You're still getting a damn good education. And then when you come out, right, then yeah. you go to work part-time. You, maybe you borrow some money if you absolutely have to. You make it through your next two years, and you move on with your life, and, and you're going to succeed. So the whole but, damn yeah, system the, is, parents, is just backwards. And it's, uh, I guess this might be my opinion. You may agree or disagree. It, it's the laziness of everything's been handed out. Correct. And the parents so let's are stop just doing bad. it. They, they can just go. I, I got no problems with that. Yeah, let's just stop I, handing this stuff out. It, w- it will. It, it would lower the cost of of the, the colleges. Oh, drop, and universities. Eliminate the federal student loan program today. And by next year, some of these college will be cut. College costs will be cut in half by next year. And why do these college professors that have tenure need to be making five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars, million dollars a year? Correct. Teaching a course that somebody well, with sixty thousand dollars, yeah, hold, hold or, on, or I, the same experience that's currently getting paid sixty thousand dollars for. I would not care if a college decided to pay any professor any amount of money they wanted. I would not care about that if there wasn't so much government money involved. That's the only reason I care. Take away the student loan program completely. And any college. That goes back to your free market. Exactly. Let the free market take care of it. Exactly. And I agree with that too. Once the government money has gone out of the system, if a college wants to pay a professor a million dollars a year, knock yourself out. Because some other college is going to make create a better program at one-tenth of the price and you'll be out of business. That's how free markets work. Right. That's why this should be a free right. market, and it's not. And that's why it's such a mess. Right. And if the scholarships come from the school because they had a surplus because yes. they're, they're instead of instead of instead of using their uh, 
but the money to but, do something stupid with. I don't know what. But, but we need a better system of giving out those scholarships. That's my point. Let's right. stop giving well, one, it to the people that already have all the advantages. One of the scholarships she's got for $3,000, and it, I don't know what the total amount, because there was probably 10, 10 students, maybe 12, that got from this. This came from a local businessman who is deceased, who him and his wife built the elementary school with their own funds. And he set up a college fund for, for graduates. Excellent. To yeah. I'm all for continue, that. Continue on. And, and yeah, when I, it's, I, I think it's great. I'd love to do it myself. When it's private money, then that person gets to decide who they give it to. If they want to give it to the smartest, fastest, strongest person because they want to reward them, then go ahead. Knock yourself out. It's your money. But when it's government money and we have a system that's so broken and now we want to do what I just think is absolutely outrageous, um, then I'm going to push back. Let's let's go to California. Aaron, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. Um, The reason I'm calling today is I got an annoying little problem trying to work through. My wife's developed this widespread itchy rash. Before you go that, any uh, further, seems but, sad- but before you go any further, yeah. don't tell me about the rash. Tell me about her diet. I knew you were going to ask that. Um, we're hardcore. We eat low-carb, high-fat, paleo. Been doing it for about four years now. Okay. Now, so that's going to make it a little more difficult. Well, yes and no. It's just good information. Okay, but now I know where I need to be looking. Had she been eating the standard American diet, my only advice would be change her diet and let's see what happens. But we're already eating a good, clean diet, so now we can move on to the next step of troubleshooting. Um, so you, what is the rest of her health been like when you started eating clean, did she see a lot of improvements in her health? Um, I don't know. Um, she was she wasn't really super unhealthy to start with. She was we we caught it pretty early, you know. She was only thirty five when we started eating this way, so everything's kind of the same. She's been pretty good, and um, my my question is. Um, is this possibly a a skincare product? Yeah, absolutely. Or food? Either um, either one, and that's uh, what we need to start working towards. We need to start the troubleshooting process of elimination on all the things that could cause this. Now, now I want you to explain the rash to me. When did it start? What does it look like? Does it ever change? Does it go away? Does it get worse? Tell me about the rash itself. Uh, Okay, it's only been happening for maybe two months now, and it's happened May. I think this is the fourth time, and it seems to set on slow and go away slow. I suspect it's taking a couple days to fully manifest, and it takes several days to fully go away. Um, and the only real different things we've been doing, because I'm looking at what have we done different, because this hasn't been a problem in the past, right. is uh, when... Dr. Davis put out a super gut book. I read that right away and went hardcore on it. 
So we're consuming more dairy and way more um, probiotics. Okay, so let's stop right there because um, that's the most logical place to start. That those are both changes that could absolutely be the cause of this. So since we've identified a change and that change could be the cause, that's the most likely place for us to start. Dairy and skin conditions go hand in hand. Dairy can be very yeah, healthy. I thought they might. But it, it, people, it, dairy is one of the most reactive foods in our diet. Wheat, dairy, nuts, uh, eggs. So several of what we consider really healthy foods on a paleo keto diet are also very reactive foods. Dairy, nuts, and... Um, Oh, what was it? the other one I was thinking of? And eggs, dairy, nuts, and eggs. All very healthy, all very keto and paleo, but for some reason also very reactive. One of the things you can do is try to make sure you're using the very highest quality dairy, but in this case, I would just say eliminate dairy for 30 days and let's see if that fixes it. All right, so thirty days. That was my question: is how long to eliminate days. it for? Because she's not gonna, she's not gonna be happy about eliminating dairy. Well, I'm sure she's not happy uh, about having rashes break out all over her body either. No, she's not. Yeah, so let's figure um, it out, and maybe. Well, I got you. I got it. Maybe after we figure it out, we can also figure out how to allow her to go back to enjoying dairy without this problem. But rather than try to do that in the beginning, you know, I could say, well, let's make sure you're getting, you know, the best uh, unpasteurized, unhomogenized raw milk. And let we could try all that. But if it doesn't work, then we're not sure it could still be the dairy. So but if we do it this way. If we eliminate dairy completely in 30 days, some foods we can eliminate for seven or 10 days and see a difference. Dairy, it, it seems like we got to go longer. If we do this and it solves our problem, now we know it was absolutely dairy. Now let's try to add back in just good, high quality homemade yogurt and see if the problem comes back. If it doesn't, then let's add in good raw milk cheeses. Does the problem come back? No. Good. You can still eat those. So this is a more efficient way of troubleshooting without going a whole month trying to just work on the quality of the dairy. And at the end of the month, we don't know anything yet. Okay. And we've also been making uh, Dr. Davis's clove green tea. Any chance that clove green tea could possibly be contributing to this problem? Well, it's not the clove green tea, but that's a, I'm assuming, and I don't remember that recipe, but that there's probiotics in the drink, right? That's the whole point of making it. Uh, yeah, there's a new one we haven't used so, before, uh, sauce. So it's not and, the cloves or, or the green tea, but it could be the gut bacteria. And and what could be, it? At, this actually could be a positive thing, honestly. This will be the next thing we will explore if it's not dairy. We could explore the fact that what she's seeing is actually a detox reaction, that she had you know, somewhat severe dysbiosis. She had altered gut bacteria. And now when we introduce this new bacteria and it kills off the old, 
and we can get a detox reaction. The big, we have seven detox pathways. One of the biggest is our skin. We can sweat toxins out through our skin. And when we get die-off of bad bacteria, we many times we do see skin conditions like this. So that's the next logical step if it's not dairy. Okay. Yeah, we did do the 30 days of SIBO yogurt and follow a lot of steps to potentially that, catch That could have uh, been the, the die-off. The rash could be the die-off. It, it could be the toxins leaving her body. Yeah. And another question, I was suspecting it could be um, essential oils, specifically lemon. Uh, some of the soaps and laundry detergents we're getting have possibly. Uh, lemon oil in it. Possibly, yeah. Good. Change that too. Because that's another easy one to change without disrupting your whole life. So, yeah, it could be something topical. It could be something that's irritating her skin. And essential oils, even though we talk about how healthy they are and powerful, they're powerful both ways. You use an essential oil wrong, you can do a lot of damage. Okay. And one more thing is... Is there a book I should read to learn more? This isn't a time to read like Sarah Valentine's autoimmune protocol or something, is it? Not yet. I have no idea that uh, it could be autoimmune. I kind of doubt it. And the reason I doubt it is because if you've been eating this clean of a diet for this long, autoimmune conditions tend to go away fairly easily. The, the, but So we're looking at things that the diet itself, even though it's a healthy diet, could cause. And normally we don't see autoimmune conditions get worse. We almost always see them get better. But we can see things like what I just described. We can see a reaction to dairy. We can see a reaction to the gut bacteria changing and dying off. But no, I, I would not. Autoimmune hasn't crossed my mind yet. That would be six or seven uh, down the list. And one might keep thinking of more things. <laughs> uh, we, in the past, we've done a, um, a uh, food inflammation test, and she popped uh, reactive to cabbage, and we've been eating uh, kimchi. Again, you don't think cabbage could I, add to? I, I don't think so. It doesn't pop up on my list of really, really reactive foods. There are things that trigger um, on food tests that we don't get too worried about. There, but the big ones, wheat, grains, dairy, eggs, seafood, nuts, those can really cause problems when you react to those. People who react to things like tomatoes or cabbage, or uh, usually you don't see any major issues with that reaction. So again, I'm not saying it's not possible. And if you want, you could eliminate cabbage. It's not that big of a deal. You know, kind of like changing the soaps. and It's not that big of a deal. I get the big one for her is eliminating dairy, but that's the most likely. So we need to eliminate that one first. Okay. Well, we'll start there with the dairy and uh, the, the lemon oil and hope for the best, I guess. Yeah. See, see what happens. We'll, we'll eventually figure this out. I promise. If you stick with it and you're eating this clean of a diet, we will figure this out. I'm going to say it's going to be one of those first two things. 
it's either a reaction to the dairy itself or the die-off. Kind of the whole detox effect. Let's go to Georgia this time. Jonathan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind? I wanted to talk about your gearing ratios. I'm trying to figure out gear ratios on a uh, a rear end. Okay. Your screen prick works real well. Good. But on the rear, rear end of most trucks, um, at the end of the pinion where the yoke nut is, there's a number stamp in about 95% of the rear end. And it'll be like 1447. Okay. Which would be like a three thirty-six. How how do, the big by the little? Oh, okay. I was going to say, how does fourteen forty-seven become three thirty-six? Now I get it. Okay, um, because yeah, this is got it. This is a ratio, so that makes total sense. Um, I di- I was not aware of that. That's new information for me. I used to tell people, look around on your rear ends, your differentials. You may find a tag that tells you something, but I've never heard of this number and where it is. Yeah, it makes it a little difficult to find when the differential is in. But, you know, you can take a mirror and a screwdriver and usually straight the end of it off. Now, this wouldn't... This wouldn't be, you know, a big issue, but there is still a slight issue here that if you kept the same housing but replaced the internal gears, that number is going to be wrong. Uh, no, because the number's on the pinion gear. Oh, oh, okay. Now, now yeah, I see. Got it. All right. Now I see what you're saying. Okay. Got it. So, yeah, that would be then. Even if it were changed out, that would be accurate. Oh, good point. Yeah, that, and that's new. I didn't know that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad I can help a little bit. I'm the Cisco Tower remote center out of Atlanta. That's the truck Oh, there you go. Good. Yeah, thank you for that. One more, uh, one more way we might be able to help somebody with that one. Let's go to Florida. Matt, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? Uh, start with uh, several comments. The student loan thing? Yeah. Both, uh, both of you guys are correct. Uh, listening from information from Dave Ramsey. And he has a whole program out there. And I just drew a blank on the name of it. Um, but about student loan debt, anyway. So, the caller is absolutely correct. I, I don't remember the numbers, but it's millions and millions of dollars of scholarships that go unused every year. Every year, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then probably hundreds of millions, like I said, I don't remember the numbers. but It could be. You yeah. are correct, too. He also has done a study, and there's statistics out there, majority of scholarship money goes to the highest earning zip codes. Yeah, I know. it. The whole system sucks. I, I, you know, it, 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 it's one thing as a libertarian, I'm not even really wild about most social programs, even the ones that give it to the people who really need it, because I've seen so many failures in those systems. It's not that I don't want to help people who could use help. I absolutely want to help people. But I'm of the impression that just handing out money usually doesn't work all that well. 
So, so that's bad enough for me. But when we create social programs that give to the money to the people who already have the most money and the most advantages, my God, why do we allow this to keep happening? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just amazing. And I don't want to go off on a tangent on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, the guy with the starter and the power steering when he top started the truck. Yeah. So first off, yeah, I have no idea if they're related at all. Chances are they're probably not. But my thought right away, uh, when he said the starter was smoking and all that, if something was shorting out, then depending upon what actually happened to the power steering pump or a hose or something like that, I would have been looking there first. Right. If right. I remember right, I had a starter fry, it was uh, right about 10 years ago, and if I remember right, I actually had a fire going, you know, just a little bitty flame, I just knocked it with my hand, and love to knock it out, but after I disconnected my batteries, and I had a, a little flame on my power steering pump when that happened. Yeah, that, that that could be the one connection. Because I was trying to figure out there's no physical connection between these two systems whatsoever. But if you had a hose running past where the starter got really hot or something like that, and, and if that's what the failure was, we blew out a hose because we melted it. Well, okay, they are connected, but... It's just a weird coincidence. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, but that's... Right. No, that, I, that could be a possibility. Yeah. First, yeah, that could be a possibility. So, the uh, electric trucks or uh, electric vehicles or, or even just electricity in general. Right, yeah. It's, it's weird how people think about it and the whole storage of energy... I think one reason is is because you can't see it. I, I was just going to say, you, you as as you started to say this, it clicked in my mind. The reason people have a harder time visualizing where electricity comes from and how it's created and transferred and altered and because we can't see it. We can physically see diesel fuel. When you're out of fuel, you know you're out of fuel and you know that you just can't create it out of air. It, electricity is the same way, I guess, because we can't see it. Sometimes we start to think that, well, it's just there. It just exists. No, it doesn't. It has to be created. No. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the cars, they got a, a gauge on them, a percentage of battery or, and they, you know, can calculate a range, but you can look in a fuel tank and see if you have right. one or two gallons or, Right. You know, 50 gallons in there. Yeah, that's a really and good look point. look at the battery and see it's got, you know, 100 watts or 1,000 watts. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's probably why we have a harder time getting our head around this. So then the, the, the example I guess I'd like to give on the regenerative part of it, you know, if, if there was a system out there that, same thing. You put a wheel on the ground and turned it, you know, used it off the motion of the vehicle, and it could actually create diesel fuel and yeah, right. into your thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's, there's a, another so, good point. The interesting thing yeah. about electricity, 
as opposed to diesel fuel or gasoline or all the fossil fuels, there's multiple ways to create electricity. It, in a sense, it seems like we can create it out of thin air because we can stick a solar panel out there and when the sun shines on it, we get electricity. We can stick a little turbine in a, into a stream and the motion of the water creates electricity or wind or we can create friction. and it crea- So this is one of the reasons electricity is so damn cool, but it's also confusing. Because, well, it seems like if you can just produce all this free electricity, why don't we? Well, because we're not all that efficient at it yet. We will be. I believe there will be a time where we have houses that have six different ways of generating electricity. Maybe from the heat and the ground, thermal energy. Maybe from the sun and the wind. And I mean, there's, that's the, the cool thing about this. There's so much potential. But we look at how complicated it is to create a gallon of diesel fuel. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's what I was going to go on with, you know, let's just say a vehicle, and we, we got to go change it to buy the hour, so it makes more sense. But if, if you are burning nine gallons an hour, and you added this thing that's going to create fuel, now all of a sudden you're burning 10 gallons an hour, but this little thing is creating a tenth of a gallon an hour. <laughs> now you can obviously see that it's a lot. Right. But when it's invisible electricity, you, you don't understand the loss without being able to see it. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, I've even talked about the idea of using wind generators on vehicles. Could we create ducks so we pull the air in without disturbing the aerodynamics too much? Even if we can even the best system possible at some point when that wind now hits the turbine or the fan or whatever we're going to turn drag gets created at that point there's no way around it yep so and yeah the electrical grid you know people say well i can't handle it i don't know that you know Maybe it's only certain parts of the country, or maybe it's the lane I run that it's more noticeable, but they have been upgrading electrical grids for the last 10 years enormously in the area I run. Yeah, I'll bet. So I, I just, it's in for, the process. Yeah, forget vehicles. As human beings, we just use more and more electricity every year. And now that we're switching yep. from you know, um, internal combustion engines to run things or corded. Now we're moving to, you know, battery powered, more electric everything. And, you know, when I walk out to my trailer now outside, um, you walk in most of the times and you hear a big hum because there's like 12 batteries all being charged because I have a lot of electric stuff now and I'm getting more and more all the time. So I'm using a lot more electricity than I used to, and that's just one person. But I don't go to the gas station um, anymore to fill up all my, you know, internal (laughs) combustion (laughs) engines, and I'm pretty damn happy about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like you said, the whole lawn maintenance, landscaping stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what a difference, because that stuff is all so noisy. And, and, and actually the, the battery stuff works very well. It's quiet. It starts. 
you don't even say it starts. I, it's kind of weird. You know, your internal combustion engine is either on or it's off. And you start it and then it's idle and then you can make it. But the electric engine, it's like, am I really starting it? I guess I'm starting it every time I push on the button. But as long as there's power there, it always starts. Internal combustion engines, that you can't say that. Sometimes they're really hard to start. So that's a huge advantage for me. The noise levels, the, the, the other day, I, you know, I'm a month late getting started in my garden and way too many weeds because it's spring and that's when they all grow and I wasn't here to take care of them. So now the job's twice as hard. Um, but, and I needed to do some cultivating to get all my cover crops back into my cover crops. Holy cow, they were like four feet tall. I had no idea they were going to grow like that. Um, and super dense and thick because I put a lot of seed down. But the soil now is just incredible. But first I had to weed whack all that down and, and kind of mulch it up. So then when I start to cultivate it, it doesn't just wrap around the tines and clog everything up. So I was weed whacking a lot. I was cultivating a lot. But you know what? I never once ran out of battery. I have tons of batteries. They all work on every device I have. So, I, you know, I stick one in the charger, grab another one. I could go unlimited, and I don't have to stop and go to the gas station. No. Yeah. Especially with multiple, yeah. One battery goes dead, it goes on the charger. Uh, yeah. And the next one. And by the time I use one or two, no matter, yeah, no matter how much work I have to do, as long as I have enough batteries, I never have to stop. Just keep swapping out batteries, and it oh. just keeps working, and it's pretty darn cool. I And now, and I talked about this while I was on the road, I don't know why I hadn't thought about this before, but working on the coach or working on the truck, there was, I try, I try to carry as many tools as I can, but at some point when you get up to the big size nuts and bolts and hardware, uh, you just can't carry enough tools to do that kind of stuff. A lot of times, you you know, you can always say, well, get a big, bigger breaker bar, but sometimes you can't get a bar in there. So I, as I'm walking around in Pittsburgh Power and I started noticing, hey, these guys don't have airlines. They're all using electric impact wrenches. Why don't I have some of those? I, I just totally skipped over that whole idea. But now that I have them, my God, I love those electric impacts. Yeah, I put it off for the longest time, too, because I just, uh, they're, they're not going to hold up. They're not. Right. There's no way they're going to have enough power versus pneumatic. <laughs> right. And, yeah, there, there's no, compare, you know, there, there's no energy loss or power loss at all with, with electric impact and all that. It's, they're incredible. Even Milwaukee makes a one-inch. Do one they make a one-inch? Really? Wow. Yep. Nice. Yeah. I don't know that I need a one inch, but it's kind of exciting to know it exists. No. no. The three quarters um, pretty stout. Yeah, well, I even have a, a, a really, no, actually, um, when you and I are done, we're done for the day. Um, I, I'm, okay. I'm shocked that I have a, a compact half inch, and I'm shocked at how powerful it is for how small it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, now that. The next thing they're going to is the mini for more compact and, you know, the 90-degree angle heads. And right, yeah. They're actually, electric's going to end up having more versatile tools yep. than here ever did. 
Yep. And you're not dragging hoses around. And yeah, it's, uh, and like I said, that I know I could get air pressure off the engine itself. And I, you got to carry hoses and you got to keep, and, and what are you going to do if you can't start the engine? And that was the case for me. A lot of times while I was working on the coach, I couldn't start the engine. I had the coolant out. I had things disconnected. So now if it's air pressure and I'm on the side of the road, I'm just screwed. But electric, if I have a couple batteries and, you know, I still have tons and tons of battery power in the coach, even if the engine isn't running, and I have a generator to, to charge things if I want. So now I'm not ever really stuck on the side of the road with a tool that won't work. So my last subject would be a business report then. Are you sure you want to talk uh, about this? They're going to call us liars. (laughs) I would have called you a liar if you would have sent this to me and I didn't know who you were. I pulled up April of last year's just to be comparison. I did not send that to you, but it actually isn't a whole lot different. No, I know. I'm I'm up this year. Yeah. um, But it's, My, let's see here. So gross, I'm up 30 cents a mile on gross this year versus last year. And that's big. That That's big. You know, we don't, we don't yeah. talk about that like it's big anymore because we kind of got used to it. But my God, I can remember times where if you were up 30%, that was life changing or 30 cents. That it's, That's a big increase. But fuel, my fuel cost is also up 20 some cents a mile. My profit is still up eight cents, even with this high fuel. Correct. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it's gotten so high now. I don't like talking about how it's oh. great for us truck drivers. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's hurting the economy now, but it's, and it's going to do something. But yeah, you know, you know one of my um, one of my topics this morning, and I didn't get to it because I had so many calls right off the bat, which I love. I I want this first hour every day or hour and a half or two hours or whatever it ends up being to be for the callers. If I don't ever have to do an open again, that's fine. Um, I'll do other shows where I talk about those kind of things and I'll do my political stuff on the pit. And So if there's calls, I almost always skip whatever my open was and I just go to them. Um, my open this morning was I actually read an article where many of the executives of the big fleets are saying there's no problem here at all. You know, we understand why the little guys are getting hurt on the spot market right now and they getting hurt, you know, if they're not getting reasonable fuel economy. And even though fleets aren't known for getting outstanding fuel economy, you also don't see many fleets that are still getting fuel economy in the fives. That's almost unheard of. I mean, most fleets today are probably somewhere in the sixes for an average, which means they're completely protected against fuel prices. As long as you're getting six, which is the just about the standard for calculating, fuel could go to $10 a gallon. It shouldn't affect your profit. That's, how, that's why the fuel surcharge exists, and that's why it works. So these fleets are saying, look, we understand the guys on the spot market are getting hammered right now, but... We're not having any problems at all. We're still setting records for profit. And they believe that, at least the executives that were interviewed for this article, they believe that this isn't even the beginning of a recession, that it's nothing more than delayed seasonality. 
they think that this is, we're just going to sail right through this and everything's going to go back to normal. You know, and I guess we get even the same thing talking about the stock market because I've seen many people say, oh, pull your money out. It, you know, everything's going to crash. It, but you got to realize markets are businesses and inflation doesn't hurt business near as much as people think it does. Right, it hurts the consumer. Make profit, or they go out of business. Right, yeah, right. And everything is measured in a percentage of profit. So, if your percentage on a hundred thousand dollars, you know, if it's ten percent or whatever, you know, an average is, the number is actually bigger when it's on a hundred thousand dollars. If you're still making ten percent, correct? Yeah. So. Businesses run on profit margins. When our cost goes up, we have to raise our price to maintain that same margin. But in real dollars, our profit could end up being bigger, even though we have the same margin because of what you just described. And ultimately, we know as a business, if we have to keep raising our prices, people will either stop buying our stuff or they will buy less of it. That's ultimately in the long run where inflation hurts business because you can only hurt the consumer for so long before they have to stop buying stuff. Yeah, and that's, you know, so stock and company values will inflate with inflation. Right. Right. And guess who else? I don't know exactly where we're at. Guess who else makes more money during inflationary times? The government. The government does because taxes are almost always a percentage. So the higher the prices are, the more we end up sending to the government. Yeah. But, and also look at the debt. When we had, I don't even know what the number is any day. It changes so fast now, but 30 trillion or whatever the number wherever we're at i think we're at 30 trillion now yeah yeah but you know if it actually stopped which certainly isn't gonna happen anytime soon stop growing well after everything inflates by eight percent a year for a couple of years 30 trillion is a lot smaller number (laughs) that's right yeah it's easier yeah it's easier to pay back debt at a time like this because you just have more cash to do it yeah yeah, so let's end on, on one note that I haven't even touched on yet. I would prefer to stay away from completely. Um, probably the biggest hot-button political issue ever in our country. Uh, and now it's back in the news in a very, very big way. And like I said, the issue itself, I'd rather just avoid. I have very, very clear, strong beliefs on the topic. To me, they're not worth talking about. Uh, this is the, and here's why I'm bringing up the topic at all, because I think this may be the one that tears our country apart. I mean, we've argued about a lot of things politically, but this is the one I think that could ultimately really, really do some damage. And I would encourage people to think this through and don't ruin relationships over politics. And this issue will be the one that could do it to a lot of people who aren't even very political people who don't really follow politics, who probably can't name their representatives, probably maybe don't even know who the Speaker of the House is or whatever. They just don't follow it. But they'll get involved with this issue. 
And I'm just afraid that there's going to be lots and lots of really nasty arguing and fighting and people are going to ruin relationships over this. And I I really hope people take a minute, step back and say, yes, it's an important issue, but do you really want to ruin relationships over this? And this, it's Roe v. Wade. Uh, It's abortion. It's the most hot button topic in politics, always has been. Um, If you go back to 73, it was a huge, huge topic when Roe v. Wade was decided, and now it's going to be a much, much bigger topic now. But I'm just afraid it's going to be very destructive. I don't doubt that. I mean, every little stuff becomes hot, you know, explosive conversations and arguments these days so right we bring a big one out like this and yeah and and a lot of a a lot of topics in politics are complicated enough that many people just stay out of them you you know they don't want to discuss the tax law change because they don't understand taxes they may not want to discuss even student loan debt because maybe they don't feel like they understand all the underlying economics that's going on. But something as human of an issue as abortion, almost everybody has an opinion on it. Whereas a lot of political topics, a lot of people just don't care. They don't follow politics. They don't care about a lot of those topics. This one, though, touches almost everybody. And it touches them in a very powerful emotional way. And like I say, where we are in the country right now, this couldn't be worse timing. No matter which side you're on, whether you like the ruling, don't like the ruling, it it doesn't matter to me. And that's why I'd rather just not talk about the issue itself. Um, I'm just afraid the issue itself is going to be a, a huge turning point for us and not a good one. Yep. I, I I agree. It's, you know, cause just to give my own, not I, I don't know if it's an opinion or not, but being a libertarian, it's a tough call. You know, I have my own personal opinion, but what gives me the right to give somebody to tell them what they can or can't do? So I've struggled with that as a libertarian too, because that's kind of the reason why we have political ideologies. It's kind of a framework that allows us to work through these complicated issues and come to an opinion about them. And for a long time, I struggled because libertarians believe we don't really have the right to tell somebody else what they can do. But if we take a step back and the libertarian view really goes one step further than that, you can do whatever you want as long as you're not hurting somebody else. I don't care if you want to become a drug addict and a gambler and go blow all your money and end up homeless and die. That's your choice. And yes, I know it does affect children. Children are the tough issue in all of this because parents who become drug addicts, unfortunately, they do affect their children. I struggle with that one. But this one's a little different. And again, without getting too deep into this, all we have to decide is, isn't that a living human being? It's not the woman's body. It's separate. So abortion does hurt another human being. The argument becomes, 
I believe anybody who is, is pro-abortion has to believe that that's not a human being. That it's just a mass of tissue at that point. And, and then the argument becomes, well, when does it become a human being? Is it heartbeat? Is it, and that's what we really struggle and argue over. But honestly, I think as libertarians, it's pretty clear. All you have to decide as a libertarian is when do you believe that's a human being? And at that point, abortion could no longer be right. Yeah, and I, on a legal side, I think that's what it's going to come down to. When, when is it a life? Yeah, and I don't see how, a, how, how we can answer that legally. I mean, I, I just don't. I, no. I, it's, it's not a legal issue. It's a biology issue. I mean, honestly, it seems to me like it's a living entity at conception. I mean, that, that's the biology. Oh. I, I, I don't know how you argue against that. Two cells came together and created a new life at conception. After that, it's just development. But it, it, you can't develop if there's, you didn't create the life to of, develop. There's plenty of argument on biology these days, though. Oh, I know. Yeah, I know. Um, and, <laughs> and wait a minute. Uh, you know, before we used to get yelled at. As men, you can't talk about this because... You know, this is a woman's issue, which I also have an argument yep. with, because one of the topics that never, ever seems to get talked about in this issue. What about the father of that child? They have zero rights, never have. We don't even talk about them. And I get it. Many of the guys skip out anyway. I understand that. But what about the guys who don't? What about the guys who truly believe that, that that's their child? Nobody even talks about them. In fact, you're screamed at. You can't talk about this. You're not a woman. I, well, wait a minute. I was half of that event. That's my child. But we don't even talk about that. You're not allowed to. You get screamed down if you do. But now, you know, the left seems to think that men can get pregnant too. So I guess we are allowed to talk about this issue now. Just to make a joke out of this, I'm going to put Angie on the spot because she just sent me a text. <laughs> she, she said, you can have my children, keep them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've all had that feeling too as parents. But Oh, man. I thought maybe she sent you the yeah. pregnant man emoji. Uh, well, at yeah, least we could it, at least we can uh, laugh about this one. We need more of that. We need people to get a little more. And I get it; it's a serious issue. I get why people are so emotional. But I, I'm really just afraid that we're in the wrong place in our political climate right now to have to deal with this issue. I just think it's really, really bad timing. Yep. Yeah, and you know it. it, it it's going to filter into other things like the packing of the court caller said the other day, you know, this is going to be an issue where they could use that to change a decision. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and here's the Um, other thing I know, I'm just going to throw this out there because I know it just happened. Giving my limited views of how I feel about this. I guarantee you there are some people out there now that will probably never listen again. That's how hot button this topic is. I've said all kinds of crazy controversial things. I have pretty controversial political views from most people. Libertarians just do. We don't really agree with either one of the two major parties. 
We agree with each one of them on different things. A lot of people think we're kind of middle of the road. No, libertarians aren't middle of the road. They tend to be an extreme on either party. I tend to be more liberal on some topics than most liberals are. And I tend to be more conservative on most topics than most conservatives are. I'm not the middle of the road. I'm almost the two extremes. Yeah, well, many times, yeah. If you're a libertarian, the the liberals call you a conservative and the conservatives (laughs) call you liberal. I know. And they they both, yeah, they, they both, hate you for some reason instead of looking at all the things we could probably agree on but i've said lots of really controversial things over the years all drugs should be decriminalized i believe that gambling prostitution they should all be legal within some guidelines so that we don't hurt other people as or we minimize that damage as much as possible um those are really controversial most people will look at them and kind of go oh boy i really disagree with them on that and blow right by it and still listen to me but I, I guarantee you, if I talk too much about this topic, I'll lose listeners. Well, yeah, it's, you know, and I'm not too worried about because I don't have a super strong opinion on how it plays out one way or the other. Well, like I, say, I have my own personal opinion, but I, I guess I don't care what other people do. It's even though it's a really important topic and I do have strong views, it's a topic I could just stay away from. It's too controversial. There's almost not a, I mean, we have to make a decision one way or another. And honestly, well, might as well just throw some more out there and chase away a few more listeners. I I wish people would take a look at it and, and realize the federal government did not outlaw abortions. And people believe that's what, that's what's happening right now. That's absolutely not true. What's happening is the Supreme Court said this is not an issue the federal government should decide. They're not making abortions illegal. They're just saying, and I agree with them. I wish we would move more issues to the state level. I don't like a centralized government, our federal government, a huge bureaucracy deciding these kinds of things. Send it to the states, let them decide, and then let people get involved in their local and state politics. And like a true democracy should, or even a republic where we vote representatives or we sometimes get to vote directly on issues, get involved then. Get involved at your state level with your beliefs. I think this is a really positive thing for both sides of this issue. But it's being treated as though the federal government just outlawed this. And a lot of people, again, who aren't political, who don't follow this, who don't understand the difference between federal laws and states' rights, they're getting overly emotional because the media and the left is whipping them into a frenzy as though the evil white men in the federal government just outlawed abortions. That's not what happened. Oh, yeah, there's so many issues that, yeah, it should just be taken off of the, the federal side. And Correct. We should all be happy That's about the way this. It was designed to begin with. Right. We should all be. Now, and this is, again, people who don't understand history and politics, it was, night, it was the Roe v. Wade that changed this for the wrong way. We don't want the federal government deciding this stuff. 
move it back to the state, and then get involved in your state and local politics. It's almost impossible anymore to get involved at the federal level. As individuals, we have very, very little impact on what happens in the federal government anymore. It's too big. It's too much of a bureaucracy. There's too much money in federal elections. So I'd much rather see these important issues move back to the state where we can actually get involved. Yeah, and unfortunately, even on the state side, it's oh, it, it's yeah, money yeah. because the big hot topic issues—they're busing people in from across the country. <laughs> I know, I know. In a state issue, yeah, yeah, unfortunate, but I mean, it's, that's just the reality. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, I just wish uh-huh. it, it. This is such an important emotional topic. I wish people understood it better. And they never will because our media has become so corrupt that they'll do whatever they can to get their way. They don't report the news anymore. They don't try to inform people and then let people make their own decisions. They influence. They no longer inform. Now they influence. Yeah. The whole social influencer that, you know, they're calling it a business and all that. That just, I can't even get my head around that. I, <laughs> and the thing is, um, influencers, <laughs> yeah, influencers have always existed. We didn't call them that, yeah. but, but you can look back. They've always been around. We've always looked to, and I don't even like the word experts on a certain topic to help us understand a topic. What's really changed in our new social media world is now some of the biggest influencers really have no specific knowledge of much of anything. They, they just happen to be charismatic and entertaining. And then for some reason, because they've developed a big following, now whatever they talk about, they have followers who are influenced by them. Be very, very careful who you follow or who influences you. Make sure there's a reason. And I, I, I don't even like these words, but I'm going to use them. I follow certain people. What I mean by that is if they write a book, I'll probably read it. If they write a post or they have a show or a podcast, I'll probably listen to it. I value their opinion. But I value their opinion because I understand their background, their knowledge. I agree with most of what they say, and I want to hear more of what they have to say. There's nothing wrong with having influencers. Our world's so complicated, we need them. But be careful who you follow. I mean, just realize, why am I, am I following them because they're really good at, at you know, putting on makeup? And if makeup's important to you, then, yeah, you should probably follow them. But does that also mean you should follow their political advice? You might want to question that a little bit first. You know, well, I mean, all politicians, everything, you know, they got a social presence and I can agree with some of their statements and disagree with other ones. I don't get all people think, oh, this guy should be our next president because he said one great thing. Well, Let's look at everything you talked about. Or, right, and we've always done things like, I mean, I get it. How ridiculous is that? Honestly, people have said over the years, you should run for president. No, I shouldn't. I'd be a horrible politician. I tried it once. I sucked at it. 
So we say that a lot, though. We tend to look at somebody, we admire them for one thing, and then think they must be good at everything, so let's make them a president. No, honestly, I tried it. I do not have the skills to be a politician. Yeah, and the big one right now is Elon Musk, and I don't think he has any interest in it, but it's funny how they push him into it, you know? I don't think he would be good at it. I don't want to see him as president. I like what he does now. Keep doing what you're doing. If he became president, everything else he does would go away. That's more than a full-time job. The political argument, you know, with everything he's done, becomes political instead of what it is. Right. So uh, part of the problem, and I've said this forever and it's never going to change, part of the problem is our federal government's just too big. It doesn't matter who you elect anymore. It's a monster. That's what I mean. We, we have very, very little influence over federal politics because the whole system is broken now. It's way too big. That's why if we can't change the federal government, let's try to move as many important issues as we can down to the state level instead. So... Uh, looking at the clock here, I believe Mike is going to be starting a show. Ooh, right this minute. Yeah, we better go. I never thought I'd be yeah. taking up two hours um, like this what? today. So, all right, <laughs> we're going to wrap this up and make room for uh, Rolling Toe, Mike and Kevin Beckett. Matt, thanks for the call. Great topics. Uh, I'm going to wrap this up and get out of here so they can get in. Uh, we will see you back here tomorrow. I'm not sure what we're doing yet. I'll talk to John and Joel, see if they want to join me. Uh, It'll be a freaky free-for-all Friday either way. See you then. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.